Hey everybody, Josh Neighbors here from the Locked On Nationals podcast. Today's show, Dylan Short from the Locked On Braves podcast comes on to talk with me about how he thinks the 60-game season will affect the two odds-on favorites in the NL East, in the Nationals and the Braves, what that race will look like with 60 games, and we'll get his thoughts on some other things as well too. Always love talking to Dylan. Uh, one thing though, the audio is a bit tough at times. It cuts in and out. Um, obviously in this Zoom era, it's not you know it's as easy as it was to do um, you know interviews or whatever. Um, and Dylan was a bit on the move. He fit us into his schedule. So, uh, audio quality, it's, it's a bit spotty at times, but you can hear Dylan for the most part and, and you can hear him get his points across. So, uh, that's what matters. Hope you all enjoy the show. 3-2 to Suzuki. Kurt Suzuki! See you later! The Nets have won it! Seven runs in the bottom of the ninth! This is deep to center field. Bellinger's back. It's a grand slam. Howie Kendrick with a 10th inning grand slam to break it open. The former Dodger breaking hearts in Los Angeles. The kick in. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. You are listening to the Locked On Nationals podcast, your one-stop shop for news, analysis, and conversation surrounding your reigning, undisputed World Series champion, Washington Nationals. Now, here's your host, Josh Neighbors. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors, Locked On Nationals podcast. Joining me today, Dylan Short of the Locked On Braves podcast. And Dylan, you and I have talked a good amount throughout the coronavirus. I mean, obviously, we're happy now we have baseball. But you know, the big thing is we did a team preview when it looked like we were getting 162 games. Now we have, a, uh, you know, nearly 100 less, um, over 100 less than that. But you know what? We've got baseball. It's something to be happy about. Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be a weird season. I mean, this is, this is not anything – this is going to be the shortest season Major League Baseball's ever played. Um, there's going to be a lot of hurdles. There's going to be a lot of weird things that we're not used to seeing from a baseball season. But I know just for, for you and me, selfishly, I'm just happy that there's something for me to talk about because I don't know about you. I've been for two months now. Yeah, it was getting pretty thin there for us um, for a while. And it's interesting because I want to talk about the Braves and kind of how now the calculus changes for them because, you know, we were talking about the, we think the Nationals and the Braves are going to be the two teams fighting it out atop the NL East for a majority of the season. And, you know, the Mets were going to make a push, we thought, and the, and the Phillies had a chance. But now in 60 games, man, I mean, we're talking about an all-out sprint to the finish. That's just kind of all it is. I mean, we start day one, and it's going to be cutthroat baseball. So from that perspective, how good do you feel about the Braves' chances? How well do you feel like they're equipped to just, you know, from the word go, get after it? I feel really good about the Braves. This, this whole shortened season type of thing, it can actually work out in the Braves' favor because a lot of the issues with the Braves, if you were trying to nitpick on something for them to go long-term over 162, is the fact that they are going to be relying on so many young pitchers. Well, when you've got a shortened season – and you've got this big, gigantic roster in this taxi squad you're allowed to pull from, it's going to allow the Braves and a few of the other teams in this Eastern Division um, to be able to, to use multiple guys. Like I've, my, 
other podcast, my partner Doc and I have been staunchly uh, supportive and, and really been pushing the fact that the Braves really could end up rolling with, and they probably should roll with like piggyback starters. Similar to the Rays, I don't really, not talking about the opener, but uh, for example, if you got seven guys, you only got five spots in your rotation, you end up going something like, you know, you can, you can work just from the base perspective, it's Felix Hernandez versus uh, Sean Newcomb is kind of like the, the big thing or Kyle Wright. In this season, you can end up piggybacking both of those guys. So you can have the best of both. You're not trying to force Felix to go super deep and face an order three times through, which at this point in his career is probably not a good thing. Newcomb's a guy that generally fades really late in games. So you pair those two together and you're essentially getting your starters innings, but you're able to use two starters and not stress anybody's arm. There's a lot of teams that are going to benefit from that. I also think it helps the Braves because we don't have to worry about Snicker making the correct choice between like how to get playing time for Riley and Camargo and Marquegas and Duvall if all of these guys end up hitting and uh, end up playing well. Having the DH involved takes away an extra spot for a manager to screw up. And I just say snicker because, you know, I really just care about the Braves. Um, but I'm sure other teams have owner, or have managers that they're not exactly comp, uh, comfortable with tactically. Um, but it, it, you're right. It's going to be an absolute sprint. This is one of those weird things where um, – I was going through the timeline and some of some of the guys that I talked to, somebody did the math and, uh, you know, a four game losing streak in 162 games, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but in a 60 game season, a four game losing streak is equivalent to an 11 game losing streak. So this is going to be one of those seasons where the first two weeks is going to tell how your season is going to progress. Yeah. And it's one of those like don't blink scenarios and, you know, we'll get to kind of the scheduling and whatnot. You know, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, though, is the DH. And for a lineup in the Braves that they brought, the, you know, the thump last year, um, what is this? I mean, this is, this is great news for the Braves. You know, they don't have to worry about as much finding positions for guys. They have an extra spot. And uh, what do you think? Who do you, who, what, what are the names we're going to see most in that designated hitter spot now that the Braves uh, can fully utilize that? Well, this is great news for everybody because pitchers don't need to hit, and I will die on this hill. Um, the National League is one of two professional divisions or leagues, if you want to say that, in the entire professional baseball world that do not use the DH. So I'm very happy that I don't have to watch Mike Fulton ever swing the bat. Um, most likely, my guess is you'll see Riley end up being the DH. You'll see him splitting time. Uh, against lefties, Ozuna will probably move to DH. Duvall will probably play left field because he's a really good defender. Um, I think you'll see a lot of Riley or Camargo. You'll see Marquecas spattered in there too, uh, but I think that's going to be the key. What I'm hoping is that you're going to mostly see Austin Riley playing DH, and you're not. You're going to see, you know, guys like guys that are a little bit over the hill, like Marquecas, will be more your pinch hitter role. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of misperception here where. They, they, they tend to think that having a DH takes away strategy because you're taking away pinch hitting for a pitcher or something. It's, it's just – it's patently not true. I mean, if you look at the numbers between AL teams and NL teams, it's, it's patently untrue that it, that it gets rid of strategy. As a matter of fact, you'd think that in American League you'd have pitchers going through lineups deeper than you would the National League. It's just not true. It's not the case. Uh, it just changes the strategy a little bit. I'm very excited about it. I've been – I used to be – when I was playing – I was staunchly anti-DH, mostly because I did not want to DH. I didn't want to get put there. But over the years uh, in watching pitchers flail away at, you know, an 85-mile-an-hour changeup that I have been like, you know what, let's, let's, uh, let's get somebody here who hits better than a 16-year-old. 
So I, I'm all for it. I know, I know as a Nationals guy, you guys are set up pretty well, too. This, this helps you guys get a few of these big boppers who suck defensively in the lineup. Yeah. So for the National League teams, I'm very excited. I wish we'd known about this earlier so the Braves could have you know, re-signed Josh Donaldson, but I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. This is great going forward, and I have no doubt it's going to stay. Yeah, I mean, we hope it does. And that's the thing. You and I have talked about this a bunch. Like, when you talk about the product on the field, like, shove, please shove strategy where the sun does not shine because right. you have a product. And, like, the, the thing is, it becomes more watchable when you've got a, you know, you can put a guy in a spot where all he has to do is just hit. And the thing is, like, the strategy stuff, okay, you're, you're in the minority of people who watch the product for strategy. Like, the, I'm, I'm sorry, you're just not the majority where it's like, I, I'm excited about the double switch. You're just right. not, and so when this is a product watching, you know, like and Steven Matz is on the better end of, of pitchers hitting, but like, you know, that guy's got enough to worry about pitching again. He can barely do that, you know, consistently well. So, you know, let the guys do well what they do. It's, it's the same reason why the NBA, you know, made a defensive three seconds, you know, and, and created a three point line. It adds excitement. It, it allows, you know, to players to attack them. This is what we want in our sport. And now there's strategy to figure out there's still strategy involved. Which guys need a day off? Which guys should hit in that spot? Which guys can you maximize there? And, you know, I think it's, it, it definitely makes sense. Now, to the Nats part of it, uh, something I want to ask you about, Ryan Zimmerman, Joe Ross, both out. On the, uh, they, they opted out. Mm-hmm. Any players you're worried about from the Braves side taking that option? Now, any high-risk guys that are just going to sit? Any guys you think might just take the opt-out? What do you think? What are you hearing? I'm not here. I'm hearing none of the Braves players are planning on opting out, but obviously that's a very fluid situation. If anybody were, like, if you're just looking at who who probably should, if like who's the most vulnerable, it would be Duvall because he's a type one diabetic. Okay. Uh, as far as I'm aware, that's the only underlying condition on the Braves roster. Um, I'm not certain about. I think it's going to be more. I'm more going to be looking to see what coaches and front office personnel don't come in because coaches are going to be a lot more at risk. Uh, coaches and just team personnel are going to be a lot more at risk than all the players. Like a guy like Carlos Carrasco, who, you know, just, you know, overcame cancer. That's a guy that probably should sit out. I'm not going to tell him he should or shouldn't, but that's a guy that if anybody has a problem with him sitting out, you're a horrible person. Um, <laughs> not sorry to tell you that. Right. Um, you know, Ian Desmond just put out his big thing today. Now Desmond went a little bit different. His was more in line with a lot of the WNBA players, which is more, you know, social issues as opposed to the coronavirus, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. I, I don't think you should get mad at anybody that decides to sit out. They're not getting paid. So they're just, they're saying that they're going to put their money where their mouth is. And I don't think there's any, I, I think that there's room to be a normal thinking person on this. I think that there's room to understand that, Hey, if you think it's a risk to you and your family, I respect you putting your family first. That's fine. If that's what you want to do, that's cool. Uh, I don't think there should be any hate from those. Just like I don't think there should be any hate for players that decide that they want to play. I think everybody here should just act like an adult. And baseball, as, as bad as MLB has screwed this up constantly throughout this entire 2020 year, this one I'm, I'm perfectly fine with. Don't If a player doesn't want to play, if he doesn't feel safe, he doesn't have to play. It's not going to get paid, but, you know, for a guy like Ian Desmond, he's got a lot of money. It's not going to hurt him right. this year. Yeah, and I find that that conversation has been fascinating. I'm not sure. I forgot who it was who was on uh, NBA radio on Sirius XM last week, and he made the point that, you know, players should want to play because that's when they stick the microphone in your face. That's where they give you attention. So I, I'm seeing both sides of it, and I don't come down on either side of it. 
but I've been really interested in that conversation to see how it's developed. And I'm glad we're having that talk, you know, about players using their platforms. So I'm totally fine with Ian Desmond setting out. I also like the arguments I'm hearing from the other side saying, well, I think playing might give you a bit more of a platform. So I think it's a great conversation that we're having. Totally support Ian Desmond's right to sit out. Totally support players who say, hey, I think you can do more if you do play. I think both are statements that you can make, and they both involve ways you can say stuff. So, you know, it's just, it's been really fascinating to see how all of these things coalesce into where we are right now. And uh, haven't heard anything from Joe Ross yet about the reasoning, Zimmerman's of the family. So, you know, you're getting a whole bunch of uh, array of, of answers, and I think it's been a, a good conversation. One of the things that we're talking hey, about. As long as people can be honest, as long as everybody yeah. can be honest and, and just be, you know, respectful. I think that's, that's the biggest deal. I mean, really, if you think about it, if you're somebody at home and you're complaining about somebody not playing, really, you're just complaining because you want to sit there and, and be entertained by this person while you're eating Cheetos or drinking a beer. And that's, you know, that's very entitled thinking. And I've said for years that people tend to forget that these guys are people like you and me. They tend to look at them the way that we look at gladiators and like they're, they're basically there for your entertainment. And, you know, it's, it's nice to see people start to realize that a little bit, like, Hey, maybe we shouldn't get so gung ho over this guy's life when right. this is like, Nope. I don't like when somebody tells me how I need to do my job. I probably mm -hmm. shouldn't tell somebody else. Sports is a weird spot because guys like us are paid to, you know, analyze it. And yeah. Lord knows I've never been afraid to say that somebody's not playing well, but you know, it's it's one of those things where I just don't feel like you've got any right to speak on another man's money or another man's situation. Yeah, and especially in the state of, I mean, the country, you know, the United States, just exactly. with COVID spiking and, you know, all of these, you know, a lot of the unrest that we've had and rightfully so, I mean, you know, people people don't feel normal ways about it. And so I think we like, should Nothing about that. this is normal. This Nothing about 2020 has been normal. Everything has been just frantic. Like, let's just kind of hold it together. And if this right. is, you know, if this is the best that we can get, then shut up and watch. We're all going to watch. Don't like, I hate the new rule about, you know, runners starting on second base, but if it means I get 60 games in 2020, fine. I mean, whatever, <laughs> whatever yeah. it takes at this point, give me something that's kind of normal. Now onto the schedule, you know, and this is where I want to spend a little bit of time and we'll end it right here with that. The schedule is just, I mean, for the Eastern team, <laughs> it is just, like, it's going to be sink or swim. Brutal. You know, think about the World Series champion Washington Nationals last year who had a, you know, a bad start and then a, a terrific few months in there. I mean, you're going to be have to play, you know, the Yankees, the Rays, who are two outstanding teams, outstanding franchises. The Red Sox, obviously, raking has not been their problem at the plate. Toronto is up and coming. And then the uh, Baltimore and, you know, Baltimore and, and, and uh, Miami are the two gimme, the gimmies. And the problem is you can't take any time off because, you know, we see how that happens. We see teams all the time that out, you know, don't perform very well against the bottom part of the division, almost like they're taking it off. You can't do that. I mean, no. you know, you're going to get taken advantage of because of how, how short the season is. Um, it's cool because we have a bunch of good teams that are going to be just be, you know, it's going to be a dogfight, I think, in the East region. Oh, yeah. You see a whole just going to be blasting each other. Not a lot one, of clear one of the things. Yeah, yeah. This I don't think that any team from the East will have the best record in the league. Let me just say that. Yeah. Um, there's just there's so much firepower. You touched on it. You you kind of touched on a little bit. I mean, last year the Nationals wouldn't have made the playoffs if it were 60 games. So it is such a it's such a big important deal how fast you start. You're talking about 
you know, the Yankees just spent all that money on Garrett Cole. They've got a million people. And with this short season, you're seeing a ton, a ton of top prospects get put up because even if they play this year, they'll still maintain rookie eligibility. I mean, the Rays put Wander Franco on their taxi squad. So I'm like, we might actually get to watch Wander Franco's first major league game this year, which is totally awesome. But another thing I'm very happy for, and this is more just because I hate the Yankees. I'm not a big fan of Yankee fans in general. Uh, it's going to be really, really cool to play the Yankees and their fans are going to have to realize that Glaber is like fourth or fifth best young guy in their own division. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just going to be like, it's going to be, like we said, I mean, a, a freaking dog fight from the start and that's going to make for good television. Um, you know, what is, what is with the, with the schedule? What's your concern? I, for me, when I think about the Braves, it's probably that pitching because like you just don't have enough time to work it out. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now I feel good about like, I feel good about the first three in the rotation. Uh, I feel great about Soroka. I feel great about Freed. I feel really good about Hamels as long as his shoulder's back to being healthy and all reports are that it's healthy. He'll be ready for opening day. Um, four and five get a little concerning. Kyle Wright looked amazing in spring. I'm looking for him to make a big step. Fulte, it's a big year for him. Everybody saw what he did in 2018. The Braves are probably going to give him a, a, a decent shot at recouping some of that value because the difference between his 2018 and 2019 was ridiculous. Um, the Braves bullpen I feel great about. So even if starters aren't going deep, the Braves have enough in their bullpen. They have enough converted starters in their bullpen to where they can eat innings pretty regularly. You don't have to worry about how many innings people are throwing now because 60 games, you figure it's 12 starts a piece. So at most, you're probably going to average about 96 to 100 innings. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like you're getting a ton of innings this year. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. This, is, this should be a fun year for a lot of young guys. I know – with the Nationals, I don't really know of any of the super young guys that are coming up. I don't know if Luis Garcia got put on the taxi squad or not. Um, I'm assuming Carter Keeboom will be up for a fair bit, too. Uh, I know he didn't hit well last year, but that's his carrying tool. For the Braves, Pache, Waters, Ian Anderson, they're all, all on the taxi squad. And there's a fair chance that you could see some of these pitchers more than uh, position players. But if, if they start out this year in Ender and Ciarte, uh, starts out super slow like he's been known to do, I don't think the Braves would be all that reticent to bring in Christian Pache. Pache is already better than Ender defensively. It's all about offense. It's going to be a lot of cool things that come down this year just looking at this shortened schedule. You mentioned the Red Sox. I'm excited to see what they do, not because I think they're going to be great, but because High and Bloom is a very outside-the-box thinker and does a lot of really good things, and Rafael Devers is a monster. Um, one of the coolest parts about this, though, is – if you're a fan of teams like Baltimore or Detroit or Miami, first off, my apologies that you have to be fans of them. Um, but two, this is a good year because there's no reason not to play your young guys. Like Detroit's already got Spencer Torkelson going on to 60. I mean, Baltimore, I'm assuming Adley Rutschman's going to be on there. Uh, 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 Keston Shura or whatever you want to, however you pronounce it. Kierstad. Heston Kierstad. Yeah. Heston Kierstad versus yeah. Heston Kiura from the Brewers. But anyway, right. I'm sure you'll see most of these young guys get a chance. And if you're, you know, a team that's would have won 40 games in a hundred game season anyway, there's not really any impetus not to put guys on there. So there's, there's stuff to watch across every team. I'm pretty excited. I'm a big prospect guy. So getting to see a lot of these young guys get some taste of big league action, that, that's big for me. I'm very excited about that. 
Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Postmates. You guys have heard me talk about Postmates uh, before. Right now, special deal. Download the Postmates app on Android or iOS. Sign up. Use the code LOCKEDON for $100 off in delivery fees for your first week. It's a really important time right now for you all to be staying inside and uh, not going out as much as possible. If you do, wear a mask, please. But uh, Postmates offers contactless delivery, so they deliver it right to your door. You don't have to touch, you know, uh, trade hands or anything. You pay online. It's simple. It's easy. You can get things from 7-Eleven, Walgreens, um, not just food. But I uh, really want to let you guys know that Postmates is a good way to help support local businesses, local restaurants, small small restaurants, non-chain restaurants. Um, they can, you know, go pick up food from there and uh, support those businesses right now that need our support, you know, with their doors closed and not able to see people. So once again, go to uh, the Apple or Android App Store, download Postmates, sign up, and use the code LOCKEDON for $100 off in delivery fees for your first week. Yeah, you know, the, 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 it's all sad about minor league baseball, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a definitely a discussion that's worth having. But, yeah, I mean, in the immediate and, and what it means for these guys, you know, baseball sports, it's always been a kind of take your time and, uh, it's going to be much more NFL quarterback type deal now where the kids kind of get thrown to the fire and you see what they have. Um, yeah. 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 I know it's, it, you know, and we're seeing that a lot more and, you know, the times have now forced a, a bit of this change. I want to get you, you know, on the way out here, Dylan, what do you think? I'm not asking for a certain, certain number of games, but if you had to go with your gut right now, do the Braves still win the NL East? Do you think? I think, the Yankees are probably best suited to win the East because their lineup is deeper uh, and their pitching staff with the addition of Cole Paxton is back now. I think the only starting pitcher that they're missing is Luis Severino, maybe Masi Tanaka still, but I know losing Severino sucks. Um, they just got enough offense to where they're, they should be fine. I still feel good about the Braves. I think, um, I think the Braves are a pretty good bet to play second. I think, I think the Nationals and the Rays, that's going to be, to me, that's going to be the biggest battle. And it's going to be between two totally different types of, of teams. The Rays, they do a lot of things. They, love, they do a lot of outside-the-box things. They're a very weird team. They almost play an NL style of baseball in the AL. They're not really – they don't pay a lot of money, so they don't have a lot of big names on their squad. They don't really have any standout performers on the field really at all per se. Um, their pitching staff is good. You know, you've got Blake Snell and you've got Charlie Morton, who is one of my favorites. But position by position, they they don't look like anything special. They reminded me almost of uh, the Diamondbacks last year. When the Diamondbacks went on that big run without having any really good players besides Cattell Marte. The Rays do such – the Rays are the best managed team in baseball. I'm, right. a, I'm a big fan of Kevin Cash. I think he's by far the best coach. But when you're talking about – how they're going to stack up with everybody else. I do wonder if they end up beating on Toronto and Baltimore more often. And if that will translate because last year, the NL East, everybody was good except for the Marlins. So we'll, we'll see how that turns out. The, the nationals, this kind of gives them a chance to rely more on offense than pitching, which is probably going to be their MO anyway. I know they've got Scherzer. I know they've got Strasburg and I know they've got Corbin, uh, but they're four and five or nothing to write home about. They're actually pretty bad four and five, if I'm just being honest. Yeah, the, the Joe Ross thing hurt them because, I, you know, I was talking last night. It was a big somebody. year for him. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge year. It was a huge year. And, and look, like, once again, we respect your decision, Joe. But, like, it, you cannot ignore professionally what was right. at stake for him in this season. 
And this was this was the year that he was going to either stick in the rotation or probably end up being somewhere else. And I, and I think his decision has basically made it to where like Joe Ross was, might be done with the Washington Nationals. You know, as as because you'd think that between both and Fetty, somebody's going to figure out the back of that rotation, and and they got some yeah. young guys coming up too. And Joe and Ross out for a year, you've got to reinsert yourself to the fold, and you know you, there might not be a space for you. I mean, that's the big one. Two years ago, Fetty was considered the best pitcher in the system for Washington. It did not go well for him last year, but, you know, there's a lot of guys that don't do well when they first come into the big league. So right. for, for Ross and Fetty, they were pretty similar. Ross was kind of the same way. He came up and he had a couple good starts right out of the gate, and then he started getting hammered a little bit. Fetty came out and kind of got hammered right away. But for the Nationals, having the DH is going to help because their bullpen is still not great. And I know it did well in the postseason last year. Uh, just looking player by player, they probably got the fourth or fifth best bullpen in this division. Uh, so for Washington, the addition of the DH is great news for you guys and being able to handle two other really outstanding teams and another team that could be good. We'll see how Boston is. I'm pretty excited for Toronto. They don't have the pitching yet, but you're going to see Nate Pearson. I mean, how exciting is to see a six, six guy that throws one Oh two consistently. I mean, that's, you're going to see Bo Bichette. You're going to see Vlad jr. Like we're going to get to see all of these guys in game. I'm, I'm still disappointed because I was going to get to go see Mike Trout uh, play Atlanta in Atlanta. So I don't get that anymore, but at least I get to see, you know, Wander Franco or Bo Bichette or Nate Pearson or, you know, you name it. I mean, the East has so many top prospects just between the teams in this division it's going to be so much fun. I mean, as long as they can get it in and actually get it started, because it's going to – Yeah. If they can get it started, I believe they'll finish. But they have to get to the start. I, I know. It feels like it's, it's an eternity away, even though it's less than a month. But they We're not that it. far away from it. But I'm right. just – oh, I am so yeah, no, nervous you know, about, about it. And, and what's crazy to me is, like, we're, we're, you know, fretting over making it there. And you hear stuff like, you know, Greg Abbott says, oh – we could have 20,000 people at Astros Rangers. And you're like, no, that's just, it's unbelievable. Well, now I was going to ask you, did Brian Kemp say anything about sports and having any fans there? I know he's a bit, you know, he's obviously a Republican, but so he might be a bit more apt to, uh, to allow some fans. I think he said anything. I'm not, I don't think he said anything. I think he's leaving it up to like the team itself. And I kind of like what the giants are doing uh, where they're allowing their, their fans to buy a car, a cutout of themselves to put in the stands, similar to KBO games, which I think if you're not going to have people there, that's pretty fun. Uh, I know there will be some teams that end up having a little bit more of a home field advantage for, for example, the Braves, since they have the battery, the battery's open. So people can be in the battery. They're just not allowed to go into the stadium. Right. So I know it's a pretty big party atmosphere in the battery. So it's going to be fairly loud for some Braves games, relatively speaking. Um, I don't that's a good that's a good question. I don't know if everybody's going to need to be mandated to where you like we either everybody can have fans or nobody can. I kind of think that would probably be the more fair approach. Yeah, that's what I was um, thinking too. I I would think so because you don't want to penalize people because you've decided you don't want to have people in the stands. So I wouldn't be shocked to see I don't think you'll see fans in the stadiums. Maybe come around playoff time if if the numbers are supporting it but i if i were to hang it my hat on something i would say probably not i mean we kind of even the ufc has been willing to have fans in attendance and of a sport where they just beat the crap out of each other's like yeah maybe no fans and maybe make the announcers that have just tested negative yesterday make them sit across uh, sit far away from each other i don't think baseball 
being a more public sport, I don't think they're going to be able to get fans in. Yeah, I mean, I've been critical of UFC as somebody who's a big MMA fan. I mean, you know, they've done a really good job with their testing. And obviously, it's a- can we talk about that? For yeah, a little, we might as well. I mean, talk about how 2020 has been. It has been horrible for every sport except mixed martial arts. The yeah. fights that have happened in 2020 have been absolutely insane. I don't, and, and I'm, the big thing is, I like, I wish, you know, people, I, I'm obviously baseball crowds and, and MMA crowds are a bit different, but as baseball crowds get younger and it, it is something to do in cities and you can get that younger crowd. Like, let me tell you something, guys, if you've, if this has been live sports on ESPN and uh, they've been bringing, they've been putting on good fights and bringing, the, it, it's been a, it's been a good time to watch. And like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I am not a Dana White fan. I think a lot of the stuff he does is reprehensible. I can't stand Dana. I'm with what, you there. But you got to give him this. He's done a really good he – was, he was very um, aggressive in trying to get his sport back on. And, um, it's worked. Yeah, I mean, obviously the plans in April were, were a bit um, – you know, going to the Indian Reservation, that felt a bit, a bit uh, you know, above hey. trying to get around the law. But what they're doing now with the Nevada State Athletic Commission, I mean, they're doing such a good job. It's, it's a model for baseball, something they can use. And – the UFC is cautious, man. And if one of the corner cornermen tests positive, even if the fighters negative tests, they're not fighting. We had that happen at uh, UFC 249. Right. Uh, Jacques Ray Sosa, yeah. Jacques Ray. Yeah, Ray tested positive a number of his corner did. So he was out right away. And, you know, they, the guy that was going to fight Jacques Ray, he ended up getting – we still got paid. He didn't fight, so we still got a show bonus, which should happen. Um, I mean – I usually praise Dana because he is a D-back, to put it very nicely. Um, I don't like the way that he handles fighter pay and everything like that. He's, he's very much like Don King in that respect. And right. He kind of put himself off as Don King. Most of the time, I tend to think that he's kind of served his purpose. If UFC, if MMA and the UFC in particular are trying to be a little bit more mainstream, then I think guys like that are more relics than helps. But for this year, I mean – They've, they've had more testing than just about anybody else. They test all the time. Everything's, everything's been handled really, really well. And I was a little bit worried how, how a fight was going to be with no fans because I, I don't know about you, but I've been to a, to a UFC yeah. card. Yeah. Um, I believe it was a 239 where it was uh, Adesanya and Gastelum. Yeah, with, it, was uh, a, it was a fire card. It was a fire card, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was terrible. It was that was incredible. That was amazing. Uh, it, it's such a different atmosphere. And if they're able to still put on shows like that with no fans in attendance, I have no doubts that baseball or basketball could still have amazing games, even without the fans. I mean, do you really notice fans when you're playing and like when you're watching a game anyway? I know I don't. Right. I mean, they're, they're ambient noise. I mean, they are background noise, you know, the crowd at baseball games, especially regular season games, they ebb and flow as the game does. And, um, you know, and look, there's positives too. I mean, the one, I'm not sure how baseball, you know, we can find anything like this, but I know in the UFC, you're hearing the corner advice, which has been very clear. And, well, and you can you know, hear them actually talking in the rain. They can hear the announcers. Like, like I thought Bisping might have went a little overboard in the Poirier yes. and Hooker fight. I can't blame him. It was nuts. Um, yeah. But I don't know that a commentator should be throwing advice out to people during the fight. I get it. That yeah. was an amazing fight. And Poirier is known for, for just, knock down awesome fights like that yeah. but uh it's pretty cool i mean in baseball i love when i can hear the crack of the bat anyway so everything's gonna sound like it's hit a lot harder but i'm not i mean i grew up playing ball i'm used to not having i'm used to having big crowds and i'm used to having no crowds so right. it's not like 
it's not like you really notice it. You're watching the guys play anyway. Other than if you're looking to make fun of some team for not having a large attendance, and really doesn't do anything. Yeah, no, I, and I I'm with you 100. I mean, and also too like think about when you you know if you ever play baseball, travel especially like you, you're mm-hmm. playing a lot of travel games. There's nobody besides the parents there. No, you nobody. Know, so I mean, these guys are you might get them. lucky. You might get lucky and play in a tournament, and then there's people that come to watch the tournament if right. you're old enough to where they want to watch that baseball. But you know you don't really notice it when you're on the field. I guess some people do. That's one of those weird things that it's, I guess it's kind of individual based because I know in basketball, there are a lot of players that say they feed off of, you know, the fan emotion and stuff like yeah. that. Sometimes I think that's a little played up and I think it's more an extra motivating factor for the person. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't care. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I'm usually happier sitting at home watching a game than actually going in person because I have a better point of view at mm-hmm. home than I would there and I'm not paying you know $12 for a Bud Light right but e- either way man this is not a year that I'm gonna be nitpicky it's like I, I don't like the run on second base rule I mentioned but this if, as long as it's for 2020 don't care don't care if that means I get the DH in 2020 fine if that means I get to watch an actual game that's not a spring training game fine I roll it you're not gonna see it enough to where it's gonna bother you that's why I think it was stupid to put it in the first place, but whatever. That's Manfred being Manfred. He's wanted to do that for like three years now, so whatever. Um, as long as it means that I get to watch meaningful baseball get played and not have to lose a year of Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna. You're totally right, Dylan. Where can the people find you on social media and your podcast? All right, so you can go at Dylan X Short, D-Y-L-A-N-X Short, uh, on Twitter, or you can go with at locked on underscore Braves, or you can go at TPS underscore podcast for my other show if you would like. Um, I'm pretty, we're, we're pretty good about responding. Um, just know that for Nats fans listening, if you're looking for if you're looking for takes that aren't involving the Braves, you probably want to follow my personal instead. All right, Dylan, appreciate your time today, man. Hey, man, no problem. Always enjoy it.